Masterful Metaphors I'm reluctant to describe Eliot's writing, because I'm certain that nothing I say will do her justice. Over the weekend, I had an opportunity to catch up with a friend who's a novelist, literary scholar, and creative writing professor. And he said he thinks Eliot might be one of the greatest geniuses ever to live. I'm not well-read enough to make that claim, but given my limited experience, it seems plausible to me. I said in passing that she leaves no spiritual stone unturned. When I picture Eliot the person, this is what I imagine. She walks through life observing the subtlest of gestures and finest of nuances, focuses in on them with a laser-like intensity, fathoms a depth of meaning and makes the most wide-ranging of connections, and then conveys it all in writing that is eye-openingly insightful and elegantly beautiful. Perhaps that's what all great writers do. But there's a distinct feeling I get with Eliot that her mind misses nothing. In chapter two, there was a sequence of back-to-back paragraphs that captured my attention because of the way in which each took an astute observation, communicated it with a vivid description, and captured it in a clarifying and original metaphor. First, there was Silas's naive association of religion with the familiar figures, voices, and rituals of his church, and how the loss of the latter destroyed his faith in the former. Eliot so vividly renders the little details of daily life that had come to constitute Silas's spiritual existence. She shows us how, for Silas, these little details are religion. Then she gives us the metaphor of the child for whom a mother's lap is parental love. Quote, The whitewashed walls, the little pews where well-known figures entered with a subdued rustling, and where first one well-known voice and then another, pitched in a peculiar key of petition, uttered phrases at once occult and familiar, like the amulet worn on the heart. The pulpit, where the minister delivered unquestioned doctrine, and swayed to and fro, and handled the book in a long-accustomed manner. The very pauses between the couplets of the hymn, as it was given out, and the recurrent swell of voices in song— These things had been the channel of divine influences to Marner. They were the fostering home of his religious emotions. They were Christianity and God's kingdom upon earth. A weaver who finds hard words in his hymn-book knows nothing of abstractions, as the little child knows nothing of parental love, but only knows one face and one lap towards which it stretches its arms for refuge and nurture. In the very next paragraph, there was Eliot's account of Silas's benumbed faith, unawakened in his new environment. The ways of the Ravelot people are foreign, and the form of their faith unfamiliar. Silas is not stirred to pain by any sort of reminder of what he has lost— because it is as if his God does not inhabit these streets. Eliot captures his feeling with a comparison to the primitive belief in native gods confined to their own territories. Quote, there were no lips in Ravelow from which a word could fall that would stir Silas Marner's benumbed faith to a sense of pain. 
In the early ages of the world, we know, it was believed that each territory was inhabited and ruled by its own divinities, so that a man could cross the bordering heights and be out of the reach of his native gods, whose presence was confined to the streams and the groves and the hills among which he had lived from his birth. And poor Silas was vaguely conscious of something not unlike the feeling of primitive men, when they fled thus, in fear or in sullenness, from the face of an unpropitious deity. It seemed to him that the power he had vainly trusted in among the streets and at the prayer meetings was very far from this land in which he had taken refuge, where men lived in careless abundance, knowing and needing nothing of that trust, which for him had been turned to bitterness. Unquote. And in the next, Eliot describes the friendless and unreflective days to which Silas has been reduced. His life of steady, monotonous work and attendance to his simplest physical needs is compared to that of a spider. Quote, Every man's work pursued steadily tends in this way to become an end in itself and so to bridge over the loveless chasms of his life. Silas's hand satisfied itself with throwing the shuttle, and his eye with seeing the little squares in the cloth complete themselves under his effort. Then there were the calls of hunger, and Silas, in his solitude, had to provide his own breakfast, dinner, and supper, to fetch his own water from the well, and to put his own kettle on the fire. And all these immediate promptings helped, along with the weaving, to reduce his life to the unquestioning activity of a spinning insect. Unquote. A parent's lap, a primitive belief in native gods, a spinning insect. In the hands of Eliot, each of these becomes a masterful metaphor that allows us to better understand Silas's soul and our own. <laughs> 